Well, I feel like I have arrived. Let me just tell you what kind of trip this has been. In order for me to be able to preach on a Sunday morning, Pastor had to be out of town. Richie had to be in a horrible accident where he can't walk two feet without losing his breath. I had to put my father in the emergency room last night. And then Bob had to be out of town. Is that like, like I feel like the secretary of state or something. It's like the whole world has to come to a complete crashing halt in order for me to get the pulpit on Sunday. It's different on Sunday morning. It's different. There's Barry-sized feet print right here. Draw me near. That's, that's where our hearts should be right there. I love That's a fantastic song. I appreciate that. Kind of leads into some of my sermon. I do want to, Cody's not in here. Cody come to me last, just a few minutes ago. He said, I, I have to confess. He said, uh, when I found out your dad, because dad was supposed to be preaching, and I was preaching this evening. He said, when I found out that your dad was in the hospital, he said, I called Barry to ask him if he was okay and if he needed me to fill in for him. So Cody said, I feel real bad. I said, Cody, don't feel real bad. I said, when I got to the hospital, the first thing when I called Barry to tell Barry that what was going on with dad, I said, but don't worry, I'll take care of Sunday morning for you. So me and Cody were kind of fighting over Sunday morning. So Luckily, I got it, right? Now you guys can look at all my cool suit, right? Like that? All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. I want to start with, in our Sunday school class, and those of you, if you don't attend Sunday school, shame on you. We have a very strong Sunday school attendance. Uh, lots of fun classes you should attend. You should come out and try. They have great teachers. Um, the SALT class has an amazing teacher. Just ask several of those of how great I or other the teacher is. You need to come out. The so class is amazing. The women class has some uh, women. Uh, the, what do you guys go by? The women's class. Wings. Amazing teachers in that. Just So let me just tell you, if you're not in Sunday school, you're missing out on some fantastic stuff. We were studying a, um, a where, why, and how-tos of struggles and heartaches. Our class has been hit with several struggles my family's been hit with several struggles and heartaches. I'm sure all of us in this church is being attacked um, by the devil, uh, being put through hard times, trials. Some of us need to grow. My mom tells me all the time I need to grow up. When you're going through these trials, whether it's an, an attack by the devil or a growth spurt from the Lord, one of the things that typically tends to happen is we lose our focus. We get caught up in the situation. We get tied to what's going on. And emotionally, we, we, we're human. We're controlled by our, our emotions. And sometimes we forget our focus. Others aren't focused at all. There are those of you that may not have a focus at all, at least a spiritual focus. We may believe that what we're doing is the right thing. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. For the grace of God 
that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. Now here's the focus. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to just spend the time in your word. Lord, we pray that you're with the pastor as he's on revival, that you just continue to speak to him like you do here. Use him in mighty ways to bless that church. Lord, I pray that my words are your words, that our hearts are renewed, and that we are refocused upon your coming return, dear God. We pray that we don't walk out of here lesser or even the same, but we walk out of here stronger in your name. For all those that didn't come, for all those that need to hear the gospel, we pray, God, that you use each and every one of us. In Jesus' and precious and holy name I pray, amen. Focus is a very important thing. For in sports terms, if you're not focused on the end goal, then your practice is lackadaisical. Then what happens is you're not played a whole lot. Now in the NFL, you still get like, what, 250 grand to ride the bench? But if you're not there to win, then you don't have a focus. When you're at work, you have focus. You should have a focus on what you're working on. You guys ever have them Mondays where you're trying to work and your brain just won't focus? All day long, you're just like, what was I doing five seconds ago? Not really even sure what's going on. You lose focus. Our focus as believers in Jesus Christ is the return of our Savior. Now, we have a life to live. And those first couple verses, it mentions the kind of lifestyle we should live. But if we don't have a focus, living that lifestyle is going to be difficult. And so if we find ourselves living a more self-lifestyle, chances are our focus has shifted. Now, changing the focus is a difficult thing to do, especially if you're having a hard time. And, and the devil will use all kinds of stuff. Well, the devil can try to cause issues between uh, me and Mallory, so both of our focuses here at church aren't correct. He might cause some troubles at home. You might have some issues at work. So you're constantly worried about that. When we grasp the idea of how important the focus is, I believe it's a little bit easier to come back to that focus. And that's why I want to talk about and, and read through Matthew chapter 25. There are two parables in Matthew chapter 25 that I think teach some very valuable um, sobering lessons that can hopefully help us maintain our focus. Now, the return of Christ is imminent. And these two, and actually all three, it's the, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then at the end, it's the uh, judgment of the, the sheep and the goat. In all of this entire story of Matthew 25, all these stories... 
The idea that the return of Christ is not a debatable thing. It's a it's going to happen thing. And that's what I want to let each and every one of you know. We may put that off out of our mind. Christ will return. Now, personally, Jim and I was talking the other day with the, the state the world is in. I'm thinking it's like by Tuesday. I can't imagine it getting much worse. I can't imagine my child growing up to be 40 years old and his not returning, to be quite honest. I don't want to be around when my daughter, who is 12, yeah, close to that, when she's 40. I don't even want to, I can't even picture what America would look like, if there's even an America at that time. The return of Jesus Christ is coming. The world wants to try to deny it. They want to argue it. They want to say it's not happening. Christ is not Christ. There's no such thing as a God. There's no such thing as your God, but my God is cool. They say wherever they want. Matthew 25 starts with the premise, Christ is coming. And ultimately, that's where our focus has to remain. We have to keep in our head. Christ can return anytime. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we had that cable box that had the 60-foot cable. You had the little buttons on it. You guys remember that? Mom and dad would sneak out of the room. What's the first thing Trevor did? Click it to HBO and see that hopefully there was a movie on that I'm not allowed to typically watch. I click, and I'm watching around the corner the whole time and hardly ever even watching the TV. I'm too busy making sure mom and dad don't pop back in the room, right? And I hold my finger on the other button, you know, channel 19, right? So every, every now and then when I look around the corner, I accidentally click it. I'm like, oh. Click it back over. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? I was waiting for the return of my mom and dad. <laughs> I knew at some point they was going to pop around that corner. I just really wasn't sure when it was going to happen. So I'm living my life trying to, trying to do wrong but make sure that I click it back over to being right before mom and dad pop back in the room. How many of us try to live that kind of lifestyle? I'm going to live the way that I'm going to live and hopefully I get a few minutes right before the return of Christ to change it all up. We don't know the return. Most of the time, mom and dad walked in that room and I wasn't paying attention. Now I am stuck with it. That's what's going to happen. So that's what Matthew 25 goes through. We start in the parable of the ten virgins. Now, mind you, this story, basically you have ten, ten virgins. They are the bridesmaids, uh, typical wedding procedure in those days. The groom would come from far away. The bridesmaids were supposed to be prepared. In this one, they have ten. Five foolish and five non-foolish. Five prepare. Five has plenty of oil. The other five do not. And the way that it works is at any moment, the announcement that the brides, that the groom has arrived could happen. Typically, it was at night. And what these bridesmaids, what their job was, was to go get the groom, and bring him to the bride, and then there was a wedding procession to the, the father's home, and the door would shut, and there was a wedding feast. So that, that's the custom. Well, in this situation, they were waiting at night, and it was the job of the bridesmaids to keep their candles burning because you had no idea when it was going to happen. So in this story, what happens is five have enough oil, five do not. So when the bride is called, or the, the bridesmaids are called, five are ready and five are not. So our, our, our first lesson that this prepares, that this teaches here, um, 
is in verses 3 and 4. And it says this, they were foolish, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took the oil in their vessels with their lamps. The first thing I want to point out here is that it's our responsibility to be prepared when the groom calls. And that's what's happened here. Five were not prepared. What they figured they would do is live off the works of those who were prepared. It is our job to make sure that when Christ calls us home and the judgment happens, we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Because once the judgment is called, that's the end. Just like at work, you have responsibilities. Same goes here. We, Jesus does not force you to accept him as your personal Savior. It's a choice. He died on the cross. He came. He created us. He gave us the way out. He gives us the teachings. He built the church. He gave us the instruction manual. All you have to do is accept. He did all the hard work for us. No one here has to die on a cross to pay for their sins. Thank Jesus. But we have to be prepared. And I don't care what kind of home I was raised in. My mother and father cannot get me into those pearly gates. My aunt, my uncle, my good, strong Christian grandma is not going to get me. The fact that my uncle is the pastor, I don't have a, I'm a PK kid or, or nephew of a PK kid pass to show Christ when I get to the gates. If I don't have a blood-washed, sinless heart paid by Jesus Christ, I'm not prepared. And we can push off that preparation, say we can do it whenever, we can make it someone else's business, but the bottom line is these individuals, when the time came, did not have what they needed to do what they needed to do. They were not prepared. So when the groom calls, it's our responsibility to be prepared. Second thing, in verse 10, it says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went into him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Those prepared will enter. Those not prepared will miss out. And I know that's not a theology that this world likes to say, but I'm telling you right now, there are those that will make it into heaven, and there are those who will not. This world likes what I call Disneyland theology. All roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. It's a lie. It is a bold-faced lie. It is a lie straight out of the pits of hell. It is a lie Satan has conjured up to make sure that you are not prepared on the day of calling so that we are on the outside of the marriage supper of the Lamb when that door is shut and we are banging and banging and banging. Please, God, let me in this door. This is not Disneyland. If you are not prepared, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It will not happen, no matter what the world says. Thirdly, verses 11 and 12 read this. Afterward came also to the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, 
I know you not. There is no too late. It doesn't matter. Or there is a too late, sorry. There is a too late. At some point, you're just out of luck. You've missed the boat. Whatever little saying you want to say. At one point. Now listen, right now, right now is the time. Right now is the time. We have it. If you are lost, if you are unprepared, don't leave today without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There will be a day that you'll no longer be able to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I don't know when the day is. I have no idea. I can't tell you the day. But I'm telling you right now, it's a whole lot sooner than it was yesterday. It's coming. And Christ is not going to be like, all right, well, you know what, I know I know you didn't quite make it, but just come on in anyway. It's very clear in this passage, in this parable here, that there is a time the door is shut, the ark is closed, whatever you want to look at it, it's not going to happen. It's our responsibility. You're not going to get in if you're not prepared, and you're not going to get a last chance. Right now is your second chance. Your third chance, your fourth chance. As long as he has not yet returned, you have the time. But you do not know when that time arrives. So why is it so important that our focus is on the second coming? Because those not prepared will miss out. And those unfocused are not doing the will of God. If the devil can cause my focus to shift from the coming of Jesus Christ that I am not telling my family, I am not telling my friends about the coming of Christ. If I am not telling the world that the Savior will return and that it's going to be too late and that you must be prepared, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. My fault. My fault. If I don't tell my children, you serve God in the best that you can and he will take care of you. If I don't tell my family that they need Jesus Christ, when they die and they go to hell, it's on my hands. Not yours. It's not the pastor's job to tell my family about Jesus Christ. The pastor teaches me how to do it. I take that to my family. I take that to my friends. It is my job to make sure my family and friends are as prepared as possible, that my uh, my work, that I let people know at work that they need Jesus Christ. If I'm not focused on the cross, if I'm not focused on the return of Jesus Christ, then it's not expedient enough for me to do now. And I'm telling you right now, every day goes by, it gets closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. I must be focused on his return or it's not an emergency for me. People dying lost should be an emergency to all of us who accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The parable of the talents starts in verse 14. Starts off again for the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is, they're talking about the return of Jesus Christ. This is another parable. And what he does here is this master shows up and he has three servants. And to one he gives five talents, another he gives two, and the last he gives one. Now the indication here is, is that they will take these talents, 
and use it to further this individual's, uh, his land, to grow his wealthy, his wealthness, right? The spiritual application of this is God gives us all talents and expects for us to use those to grow his kingdom, right? In all honesty, the ultimate part of that is to share the loss with Christ, have people accept Jesus Christ, thus growing the kingdom, right? So in this story, verse 19, like I mentioned slightly just a second ago, and after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, remember, here it is again, there is a return, and reckoneth with them. God expects a return on his gifts. There is a day of reckoning coming. There is a day of return, and after that follows the judgment. I No, 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 don't judge me. We'll all stand before Jesus Christ one day. It says right here, there is a day of reckoning coming. He gives us all talents. Now, to some he gives five talents, some he gave two, and some he gave one. He did not say what you had to do with those. He doesn't say that the five is more important than the two or more important than the one. He just expects something, great or small, the usage is expected. Now, he doesn't go to the five and say, well, I gave you five because, well, I just, frankly, I think you're a better person. He says there that he gave each to their ability. There's a lot of you that have abilities that, that I don't have. He gave you that ability. He gives me the ability. I, I like to preach because mostly I don't like to listen to people. I think I have the right idea every time. Just ask me, I'll tell you every time. Okay? I'm not a person who likes to sit and be lectured to. I'd much be, prefer to be the guy doing all the lecturing. All right? He blessed me with a big mouth. To me, that's a gift to go along with that. My wife's back there, amen, and listen to that. He gives us all something, and he expects us. Listen, sitting in the pew on Monday, Sunday morning, it's not a talent. We all should be actively doing something. Now, I can't tell you what that is. I mean, I can guess, and since I, I know a whole lot of stuff, you come to me, I'll give you an idea. I can tell you something to do for a while until you come up with it, I'll tell you that. If you want to do something, contact the pastor. He'll have something you can at least practice on for a little while. There's plenty enough to do. Ultimately, the one thing we should all be doing, and that's sharing Jesus Christ. We all have a talent. He expects a return. In verses 21 and 23, this is why I love these two verses. He says, uh, they're identical. So I'll read 21. He says, And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the kingdom joy of the Lord. This guy comes back and he talks to the five. He talks to the two. The guy with the five doubled it. He made ten. The guy with the two doubled it. Made two. Made two. Made four. Thank you. So he's excited. You guys did something. Now it's interesting because it's the exact same gratitude. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what he gave. He was pleased that he did something with it. Yes, 
God will give greater responsibilities to different individuals. But that doesn't make your job any less than what he's called me to be. Pastor's a great man. But if he has no followers, if he has no congregation, no people helping run the church, how much good does a guy stand up here preaching to nobody do? We need greeters. We need ushers. We need song leaders. We need piano players. We need people to fill in when the, when the first six are cat- catastrophe falls. All right? We need Sunday school teachers. We need people that are active in the Sunday school classes. We need people who are active in the church services. Children's church is going on right now. No one is greater than the other. God looks at all those that are active and says, thank you. The joy of the Lord. Enter. Enter. Now some of us may think we're a little bit better than the rest, but bottom line is, it's not what it is. He specifically states I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Here's the reason, personally, I think, why a lot of people don't get active. When you get active, you tend to get more active and more active and a little bit more active. Because when you say, yeah, I'll do that, then you'll start doing that. And someone will say, well, hey, do you want to help with this? How many in here holds more than one hat in this church? All right, pretty much most everybody in here, they do more than one thing. That tends to happen. But you know what? That's a good thing. Because what's happened is God says, here, I gave you this little, I gave you this two talents right here. And you did a great and mighty thing. And you took it and you made these two talents into these four talents now. And now that you've got these four talents, you're able to do this. And you're able to do this. And you're able to do that. I still, and I come back to it over and over. And I, I just, I love uh, Miss Janet's reasoning. She said she took over, what, about 20 years ago to help teach a class until they found someone else. That was 20-something years ago. She's still teaching the class. They're still looking for someone else to fill that class. <laughs> God gave it to her. How many, how many other men and women do we have filling in the classes, helping out, doing what they can? They're just holding a, a spot until someone else can come along. You don't even have to be great at stuff. God just wants you to, just expects you to do something. Just expects you to do something. That's his call. Uh, lastly, I love verses 24 through 27. He says this. Then he which hath received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know thee that thou art a hard man, reaping that which hath not sown, and gathering thou which thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there was thou that hast thine. He blames the guy. I didn't do it because you're, you're, you know, I didn't want to lose it because I don't want you to yell at me. So I just, I hid this so I didn't get in any trouble. Wimp. Wimp. Take a little chance here. He gave it to you to do something with it. How's he going to yell at you if you did what he told you to do and it didn't work out? Ain't your fault. So I tell the kids all the time, I I don't care if you think it's going to work out. Do what I tell you. That's on me. Same way at work. This ain't going to work, but the boss told me to do it. So when I go back to the boss and say, that didn't work, he can't yell at me. I did it your way. Same thing. It's, got, it's, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. You didn't do what you are supposed to do. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money in the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Back in those days you could loan money to the, uh, the money exchangers, and you basically make a percentage. 
That's how that worked back then. So he says, you can at least give it to this guy and get a little, little percentage back on it. At least you did something. No excuse taken or care for what you believe to be better accepted. I'm sorry. God does not care what you feel. He says, do this. There are so many times you hear, well, that's just what I think God would want me to do. If it doesn't match up with the word of God, why would he tell you something contrary? Anybody here believe that God would tell us something contrary to what he's told us in his word? Absolutely not. So what you're telling me is, is God instructs you to do it this way, but it's very clear in his word that he instructs us to do it this way. When your children come and say, well, I just thought I should do it this way, what do you say? Tough. You say, well, if that's what you thought, then we'll let that go. Ask my kids how many times I've said that. Is that how I said do it? No. Well, then guess what? I'm grounded. There you go. He's not going to accept excuses. He's not going to accept that's what I believe or that's what I thought or that's what I wanted or that's how I felt like doing it. Tough. It is what it is. He's not going to accept an excuse. Our focus will determine our effectiveness. If we have no service, we have no focus. He is coming, and our labors show growth into his kingdom. Service equals gospel shared equals souls saved. These two stories teach us that we need to be prepared and that we need to be working towards what he has for us to do. We must be focused. And I know life gets hard. Life struggles. Things happen. Because the devil does not want us focused on his return. But that is exactly what we have to do. And like I tell my class all the time, sometimes you just have to be stubborn about it. And being stubborn is very hard for me to do. What's the giggling for? Why is everyone laughing about that? This is a serious moment here. Sometimes, no matter how we feel or what our heart says or how our strong our emotions are, we just have to do God's work. Who here loves going to work every day? Jim. All right, Jim's the only one. But you do it. Why? Because you have family counting on you. Right? You have a duty. You have a responsibilities. You have jobs to do. Now, it would be nice if I could just up and quit and not go back to work anymore. But I can't. I can't just up and quit the work of God. I have responsibilities. I have family that needs to know Jesus Christ. I have children that need to know that no matter what the world says, you serve Jesus. And if that means I carry 16 hats in a church all by my darn self, then that's what I do. Because the gospel has to be heard. God put me here to help this pastor. And it is my job to do so until the Lord takes me elsewhere. It's amazing. I love it. And I, and I just, 
We, we recently, uh, slots opened up in the sound booth, and Brother Jim Wilson's not here, but, you know, several people, Jim's come up to me, Lord Kelvin, me, and, and my wife, and several people have come up and said, I, I have no idea what to do, but I'll do whatever you need me to do. You just point me at a button, tell me what switch to turn, and I'll do what I can. That's awesome. People that are willing to say, listen, I, I know there's a need. I don't really have the talent, but I'll do what you can do. That's what all God wants. He just needs the heart. He just wants the willingness. And that's what all this is about. He just expects us to be willing. Willing to serve in whatever capacity. If we are not serving Jesus Christ, some capacity, we are not winning the lost to the Lord. The judgment of the sheep and the goats. This is verses, the last whole bunch of verses here, 31 through 46. Christ concludes here, I always love most of his parables and stuff, he actually goes back because people get all confused about this stuff and they forget that he typically comes back and explains all that kind of stuff. So I, I picture Christ here doing these, these two parables here and then he wraps this up with the judgment of the sheep and the goats. I know goats are funny, we post them on Facebook, especially the, uh, the what's the fainting goat, right? He gets and he falls over, or the laughing, the laughing goats, right? In this situation, goats are not really highly favored, all right? In this situation, there are sheep, which are God's children, and there are the goats, those that are not God's children. And that's the picture down through the rest of this. Verse 31 says, when the Son of Man shall come into his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. He is coming to judge. And I know that's not the Christ people want to preach, but he is coming to judge. I can't say that enough. When Christ returns and calls his children home, and it all said and done, he will judge. Now, I know it's kind of, hey, only God can judge me. Ultimately, that's bad news. That's bad news. Personally, I'm not going to make the judgment because my works are not, they're just not good enough. So if I was judged solely on my actions, I'm, I'm not going to make the cut. I needed Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He is coming to judge. Verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall, I know this is a bad word, separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. There are those who are his children, and there are those who are not. We are not all God's children. Were we all created in the image of God? Yes. Are we all the children of God? No. And there will be a day where God will say, you are my sheep, enter in. You are not cast out. There will be a separation. I know the world wants to try to say, 
We're all doing the same thing. That's the Disneyland theology. It is not going to happen that way. It is very clear. It is not going to happen that way. Moving on to verses 33. It says, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. There's that separation. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed to my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Jump down to 41. He talks to the others. He says, Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be some rewarded. There will be some punished. It doesn't. At no point does he sit down and say, okay, well, you know, you did this or you did that. So, all right, you're good to go. So there will be some rewarded. There will be some punished. Lastly, we're going to conclude with this. The last set of verses is basically, um, it's a list of Jewish standard uh, righteous deeds in the in the. Jewish book of ethics, okay? And it talks about you fed me, you didn't feed me, you clothed me, you didn't clothe me. It goes down through that, says the sheep did this and the other ones did that. Basically, it's just a, uh, you know, he says you, there was at least a standard, all right? I believe personally that there is an, an at least that we can do. Now, we'll look at some and say they do, you know, I mean, let's face it, pastors devoted his entire life to serving the church and, and serving God ultimately. Preachers do that a lot. Bigger the churches, you have musicians that are full-time and all that kind of stuff. You know, and a lot of us have regular everyday lives, so it doesn't look like we devote as much. And we've already proven that it's not the quantity, but it's the quality. And that's what's important. There is an at least that we can do. If you go to um, Romans and I'll pop over Romans 12 ones. We should know that very easily. I beseech ye, brother, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves, your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There isn't a, at least you can do. And then the last verse, 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, my mouth is not working. Moreover, it is required in standards that a man be found faithful. You see, there is a minimum. And if you are only given one talent, he expects you to at least use that one talent. Now, I know in the story that was typically monetarily, but the idea here is there is something for all of us to be doing. And we all should be doing. Matthew Henry's commentary says this on Matthew 25, 24. And I really liked what he had to say, but it's kind of harsh. He says, those who have least to do for God frequently do least of what they have to do. Some make it an excuse for their laziness that they have not the opportunities of serving God that the others have. Because they have not the withdrawal to do what they say they would. They would not do what we are sure they can, and so sit down and do nothing. It is really an aggravation of their sloth that when they have but one talent to take care about, they neglect that one. And that hit me. Losing or not having focus 
means people are being cast into an everlasting fire. And as you musicians come forward, can we walk out today unfocused? Can we listen to the song, sing the songs, and go home knowing that if we're not focused on the emergency return of Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, we very may well be sending people to an everlasting fire. And if you're one of the ones that are not prepared, I beg of you, I plead with you, do not leave these doors without at least coming and talking to someone about Jesus Christ. Come, stand, stand. I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you?